0: God's grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, there are a few places in Scripture we heard one from uh, our reading from Romans this morning, but a few places in Scripture where it says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And the late Christian songwriter Rich Mullins, he once joked honestly, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, but I just want to be about the Lord's business. Aren't there people you wish you could pay back? Uh, There are people against whom you want vengeance. Uh, People who have wronged you, uh, done something to you, hurt you, or hurt someone in your family, someone you care about. Uh, People who have done some kind of injustice against you. And today, we're going to look at a psalm that has to do with enemies. Kind of sounds strange, but... Psalm 3, we're going to look at today, talking about our enemies. Uh, And it gets to enemies and those who would rise up against you, those who would confront you, those who would persecute you, attack you, and hurt you, and abuse you. And what does God say about them? What does God say about your enemies? So again, just like last week, I'd ask if you have a physical Bible in front of you to open that up to Psalm 3. Or if you have your phone with you and have a Bible app on that, open up your Bible app on your phone to Psalm 3. We're going to walk through that psalm uh, and look at what God says about our enemies uh, in our lives. If you have your Bible open or if you have your Bible app open, uh, Psalm 3 actually has a heading. uh, And that heading is in the original Hebrew, the original scriptures. Oftentimes we'll skip over that. But I want us to take a look at that starting off. It's important. Uh, the heading for Psalm 3 says, a psalm of David, we know King David, a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. And I don't know if you remember this story, but at one point in time, David was fleeing from his son Absalom, who was trying to kill him, his own son, because Absalom wanted the, re- the throne. He wanted to become king, and he needed to get rid of David to kill David to become king. So David is literally writing this psalm as he is running away from his own son who is his enemy that is trying to kill him. It's a low point in David's life. Imagine, those of you who are parents, imagine having your your own child, someone who you raised uh, from little uh, and have cared for and provided for and, and that they turn on you And they don't just turn on you and say, I'm going to ignore you and not have a part of your life. But but your own child turns on you and attacks you and tries to hurt you and tries to kill you. Uh, Imagine what David is feeling in the midst of this. Uh, And we hear verse 1. Verse 1 says, O Lord, how many are my foes, David writes, how many are my enemies? Many are rising against me. Uh, And we want to clarify what a foe or an enemy is. Uh, It's not a personality uh, conflict that you have with someone. Somebody at work and you guys don't agree on something or they're really hard to get uh, along with. That's not what we're talking about. And that's not what David's talking about here. Just someone you would disagree with. Uh, An enemy, David is saying that it's not just his enemy, but God's enemy as well. Uh, That David is talking about those who disregard him and disregard his God. Uh, That enemies uh, are the enemies that we have are enemies of the cause of God. Your enemy is there to disregard you uh, and disregard God by what they do to you. And if we go to verse 2, verse 2, David expands on verse 1. He says, Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. Listen to that again. There is no salvation for him and God. Uh, the enemies oppress David by saying that God cannot defend him or will not defend him. Uh, it's like they're taunting him. <laughs> they're like, yeah, you've got your God and you say who will protect you, but we're saying he can't or he won't. That he's overlooking you or he's not able to defend you, and that we have power over you. We can continue to hurt you. Uh, These enemies of David are saying that they are stronger than God himself, that they have more power over David than God has control over the situation. Uh, In David's language, uh, these enemies attempt to be God over other people. That our enemies attempt to be God over us by hurting you, but also to be God over you and manipulate you and control you. To control you. Uh, That that we trust in God, that he is in control of things. And yet when when people attack us, when people want to hurt us, uh, they are trying to control us, assert their power, Over you to try to take your life to try to abuse you and that's one of the most difficult things I think for myself of being part of the ministry is is seeing things and hearing things and understanding or being part of things that are just horrible things that happen to people sometimes even in our own churches and in families of of abuse, physical abuse, or verbal abuse, or sexual abuse, uh, of people controlling and asserting their power over you. And it is tough to talk about, and it is tough for us to deal with. Uh, People that try to oppress you and manipulate you and that appear to be your friend, but disregard you and disregard God's will for you. Again, enemies disregard your life, and they disregard your God. And see, Jesus says, right, that the summary of the commandments is that we are to love God, right, and to love others. This is the summary of God's will for our lives. But see, enemies do neither. Uh, Enemies don't love you, and they don't love God. And maybe you have people like that in your life. Or maybe you have people that you love and you care about that have people like that in their life. So verse 1 and 2, we hear kind of these enemies. And then verse 3 of the psalm, we hear a change in tune in verse 3. Verse 3 says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Uh, Da- verse 3, David now has this kind of peace about him. He calls the Lord a shield about him, kind of this 360-degree this protection around him, this force field that, that goes with him wherever he is that is protecting him and caring for him, that God is his refuge of protection, that he looks to God for that. Lord, you are my shield. You are my protection about me. And then verse 4, he goes on. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Holy hill. There's certainty in David. Uh, He has a track record with God. Uh, He's been in these situations before. He's cried out to God before, and God has answered him, and he trusts that God will do it again. Uh, That he finds peace and hope in that, that, God, you are faithful. I've seen that before. You've answered, and you will do it again. And verse 5, he continues, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. How many of you, uh, when you feel attacked, how many of you have trouble sleeping? It might be over fear or anxiety. It it, it could be just deep depression over this weight that is on you of of someone that is literally just oppressing and pushing against you constantly, And, and you cannot sleep, uh, Literally, those emotions and thoughts are going through your heart and your mind. And and, and you cannot rest. You have no rest for your body. You have no rest for your heart, your mind, your soul. And David says here in verse 5, I can sleep at night, and I can be free of worry and anxiety because I am in the Lord's refuge. I am under the care of his wings. And then in verse 6 he goes on, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Uh, This is David kind of going back to verse 3. Lord, you are a refuge. You're my 360-degree shield around me. I will not be afraid. I will continue to look to you and trust in you. So, so far in the psalm, again, verses 1 to 2, we have... Uh, David saying, hey, I've got all these enemies against me. They're coming after me. Uh, They are are taunting me, saying that we can hurt you and your God cannot or will not protect you. And then we see this shift in verses 3 through 6 where David says, no, but God, he is a shield about me. I don't have to fear. He will protect me. He's my refuge. And then we come to verse 7. Listen to verse 7. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. This is God as the MMA fighter. This is God who is in the octagon and he says, here I am to knock some teeth out. Here I am uh, for, for some kicks and for some punches. And David says, arise, O Lord. Stand up and stand against those that would come against me to hurt me and to oppress me. Arise, O Lord. This phrase is used elsewhere in the Psalms, and it has the connotation of judgment. That David is calling on his God to judge. God, just don't sit there. Get up and judge my enemies. Get up and stand up and do something. Against them. Judge those who are bringing me down. Uh, David is appealing to the highest court. He's calling on God to be God. He's like, No one else can help me. No one else can stand up against. No one can fight this fight for me but you, God. Be God and do what you do in the face of injustice, in the face of enemies. Arise, O oh Lord. Stand up. Arise. He's calling on God to judge his enemies. And in our day, the words judge or judgment, those are not popular words. Uh, It sounds harsh, and it sounds offensive, and we don't want to judge others. But judgment must happen. Justice demands it, and the victim demands it. Notice, though, here that David, the one that's writing our psalm, Uh, He never takes justice into his own hands. Uh, This is not a personal payback against somebody. But he's calling on God to judge on his behalf. He's calling on God to execute righteousness, to execute justice. Those words righteousness and justice are, are, are very related to each other. He's calling on God to execute righteousness and judge sin. Listen to verse 7 again. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Now some would say, hey, this isn't my God. My God is a loving God. My God is not an offensive God. How can a loving God be vengeful? How can a loving God be wrathful? How can a loving God be a God who knocks teeth out? But we, we have to get away from the phony thoughts and the phony idea about the love of God. Phony ideas that God does not take into account evil. That God does not take into account sin. That God does not take into account injustice and oppression. We need God to be judged. We need Him to be wrathful. I expect God to be righteous and right in all His ways and in all His doings. If He doesn't right wrong, then who will? If He doesn't right wrong, then where is our hope? We need a God full of fire and fury because victims need to be defended and victimizers need to be stopped and held accountable. We need a God to judge and to exact revenge. Arise, O oh Lord. And some say love can't have wrath. But, but genuine love stands up to what is unfair. Genuine love stands up to what is untrue. What is wrong? What is evil? Genuine love says, no, this is not okay. Genuine love at times must defend and discipline and rebuke. Love must be willing to risk and even bleed. At times, love must flex its muscle and knock some teeth out. This is what the psalm is saying. This is what David is saying. And some say a loving God can't be wrathful. But consider this, maybe there can be love and wrath. Maybe wrath, maybe in wrath and in judgment, God is seeking to win back the enemy that, that is hurting you or hurting him. David is calling on God's wrath on his enemies. Uh, David is calling God's wrath on his own son, but he loves his son, he loves Absalom. We see this in other places of the scripture where people are calling judgment on, the, on enemies but in, in love to win them back. Uh, St. Paul in uh, his letter to the Corinthians, uh, there's this guy in the congregation that he's sleeping with his stepmother in the congregation. Uh, and Paul says, hey, kick this guy out. Uh, he needs to be removed from the congregation. He needs to be removed from the community of faith. Why? That he might be won back. Let him be judged. Let him be outside of God's mercy so that he might realize that he longs for that mercy. Judgment out of love. And then, of course, there is the ultimate expression of this, an example of this, of Jesus on the cross. And here we see Uh, Judgment exacted by the Father. And the son replies, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God's judgment on the cross is driven by love to win back the enemy. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But I just want to be about the Lord's business. And that's the astonishing thing about the cross. It's the place where God takes care of his business. The lightning rod of God's vengeance and God's love at the same time. See, the cross is an act of wrath and it's an act of love at the same time. The cross is the answer to Psalm 3 and to answers uh, to David's prayers for God to arise, to to, to stand for him. When evil has been done, someone has to pay. At the cross, Jesus pays. He bears the penalty and the consequence of injustice. When the law, the instruction, the will of God is violated, someone is going to get their teeth Knocked out. At the cross, Jesus offers his own mouth. God demands payment. He is just. He is righteous. At the cross, he not only demands payment, but he also then makes payment at the same time. When God extends His arms of love on the cross and people say, hell no, there will be hell to pay. Uh, but at the cross, Jesus goes to hell and back for a rebellious people, for you and for me. At the cross, we see how unfair God's love is. It is willing to love enemies and even die for them. The, the cross, the lightning rod of God's wrath and love at the same time. So what does this have to do with you? What does this have to do with you today? For those of you who have been hurt or oppressed, for those of you who have been abused by an enemy, the word for you is release and this is hard to do. Release the situation to God and trust in him as your 360-degree shield about you, the, the, the one in whom you can take refuge. Release control to God because if not, you will continue to be the victim of an enemy when you continue, continue to harbor anger, or bitterness, or hatred. Your enemy will, con- will have control over you until you say, arise, O Lord. Arise, O Lord, on my behalf. When God arises, you don't have to judge. You don't have to pay back. You don't have to make it right. God will do that in his time. And when you trust that, uh, you release it. Release, you can only do that because of the cross where God has released you, where God has forgiven you, his enemy, first. And for those who have acted as enemies against others and enemies against God, the word for you is repent. You stand before a loving God who also judges justly and knocks out some teeth. And Psalm 3 drives you to repentance uh, before God with your hands up uh, as an enemy of God. Psalm 3 drives you to say to your victim, I have wronged God and I have wronged you. Forgive me. Release me. For those who have been hurt, release For those who have hurt others, repent. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have all acted as enemies of God, rebellious against him, disregarding him. And for that, we look to the cross, the place of God's judgment and the place of God's wrath, but also only at the cross. Only the cross allows victims to forgive and allows enemies to come back home God allows you and me to come back home to our Lord vengeance is mine and he takes it out on his own son who dies in your place and for your sins In the cross we see both the wrath of God and the love of God in the cross we see that Jesus dies for us, his enemies, so that he might now call us his friends. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.